This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, February 15th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Don't Ask, Don't Tell was a compromise that made no one happy, and a generational shift has rendered that policy an artifact of a time long gone. Christopher Preble, Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute, says Don't Ask, Don't Tell should be judged on how it impacts the effectiveness of the U.S. military. For a long time, uh, the presumption was that uh, people who who were homosexual could not serve in the military at all. And in 1993, they enacted the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, which is pretty much what it sounds like, uh, that they would not process people out of the military uh, for homosexuality as long as they kept their sexual orientation a secret. And that policy has remained in effect uh, to this date. And it was a rather uh, ham-fisted compromise that was... uh, ultimately came about because President Clinton made a promise uh, that the military was not prepared to carry out. And so this was kind of a, a um, uh, incomplete or unsatisfactory solution for all parties involved, basically. Um, uh, in 1993, I think that, that the dominant position in the military is that gays should not be allowed to serve, period. Uh, the dominant position outside of the military or certainly within the Clinton administration was that they should, and this was a compromise that both sides could could agree to and save some face. And the, and the key players, of course, were beyond President Clinton, were the outgoing chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, Colin Powell, and the incoming chairman of the Joint Chiefs, John Shalikashvili. Um, you know, that was uh, 17 uh, years ago. And what you see now, I think, as much as anything, is a generational shift. That uh, if you ask this question of people serving in the military today, uh, a majority believe that the United States should be like other uh, major militaries, volunteer militaries, uh, which allow gays to openly serve. Um, and the exceptions are some of the the, the older serving officers and non-commissioned officers who um, who continue to to resist this uh, on the grounds that it would be disruptive to good order and discipline and who reject the parallels that are drawn between uh, integrating the service racially as Harry Truman did and then integrating it in terms of gender uh, equality uh, starting with things like, of course, there were always women serving in the military for a long time, I should say. There were women serving in the military, but the key decisions were to allow uh, women to enter the service academies. That was the last time we had a big fight over gender roles in the military, uh, which, again, some people resisted and continue to resist to this day. But I find that it's a, that it's a generational issue, that, that the younger you are, uh, the less likely you are to to find this to, to be a problem. The arguments that were offered in the early 90s about whether or not the policy should change, it, it seems like those arguments aren't even being made now. I think that's true to a point. I think there are still there are still some people who who are very who will resist this change very strongly, um, who who do not agree that um, gays should be allowed to serve. At all. Again, they're not satisfied with don't ask, don't tell. They want people to be processed out of the military. But I think they're clearly in the minority, just as there are people who do not believe that women should be allowed to serve in the military, but they are in the minority and and shrinking. Um, And what I started to say was that I, I think it's extremely significant that the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Mike Mullen, came out as forcefully as he did two days ago and said, um, you know, this is a policy that 
should change and will change. And the process now is to study how that change will be brought about. Uh, and, you know, he was signaling clearly that was, and, and Bob Gates backed this up, that clearly it was the decision of the commander-in-chief of President Obama to make this change. But I think that Mullen's uh, endorsement of it and his point of saying, this is my personal opinion, going out of his way to say, this is my personal opinion. I'm not speaking merely for the administration and I'm not speaking for my fellow service chiefs, I think is extremely important. Um, because, you know, here's a guy, he's 63 years old. He would qualify as someone in that older cohort who might uh, just, again, for generational reasons, not be as receptive to this policy change. Um, but I think his his statement in favor is, is extremely significant. And even people like John McCain have said that they would defer to top brass on Right. Uh, their opinions on it. Right. We see that John McCain, back in 2006, had said that if the senior military leadership endorsed this change, that he would, um, you know, consider uh, supporting it as well. He's backed away from that a little bit um, uh, just within the last week, saying, you know, saying that that's not quite exactly what he said, but then uh, allowing for the possibility, which is, I mean, I think highly likely they've established this commission to study the implementation. And basically McCain has given himself an out that says, you know, whatever the commission recommends on uh, that, then I will uh, support that. Well, again, you know, the, 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 in all likelihood, the commission will support the implementation of the change in policy. So I think McCain's given himself a little bit of an out, but for perhaps political reasons, perhaps, I, I don't know, um, he has backed away slightly from what he said back in 2006. For me, the, the issue really just comes down to the efficiency and, and acquiring and attracting and retaining the most qualified people in the military. Look, we have a volunteer military of which I am a, you know, a passionate advocate and would be, you know, very disturbed by any move away from a volunteer military. But that means we absolutely have to attract and retain the most qualified people. And I think that we, we have more than just anecdotal evidence that people who were good at their jobs uh, and, and were providing, uh, you know, uh, mission critical skills were removed from service by virtue of this policy. And I think that at the end of the day, that policy undermines our security and for, you know, strictly efficiency grounds, I think it makes sense. I also think it makes sense at a moral and philosophical level, but I don't really think that a moral and philosophical uh, level is the place to have these kinds of conversations. For me, it really does come down to the efficiency of the force and making sure we have, you know, the, the very best people serving. Christopher Prabble is Director of Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can get his new book, The Power Problem, at cato.org.